Hello, everybody. Welcome to Hummus Tailgate Party. I'm your host, Thomas Jackson. On today's episode, we're going to be recapping week five and previewing week six. So sit back, enjoy, and thanks for listening. Thomas Jackson, beautiful podcast from Denver. So this season has kind of been defined so far by a lot of the typical powerhouses underperforming, even in some cases getting upset. Uh, Week five, we saw some of these trends reverse on themselves. Um, The underdogs were becoming kind of the popular pick among everybody watching, uh, such as Arkansas, Ole Miss, even Ohio State was at least favored by a couple touchdowns over Rutgers. And uh, we saw some of these teams that are your typical playoff contenders start to come into form if they haven't already. Uh, Oklahoma and Clemson were still hanging on by a thread. And of course, number three, Oregon got upset. But we saw Bama, Georgia, and Ole Miss take care of business. Uh, The first two in pretty big spots there with their SEC matchups like you would typically expect them to um, most other seasons. So we'll start with Bama Ole Miss. Um, You know, this was a kind of popular underdog upset pick uh, for Ole Miss to beat Bama. Of course, Kiffin was running his mouth, you know, basically ever since last last season's shootout between the two teams. He seemed to be a little bit too big for his own britches in the matchup in Tuscaloosa this time around. Bama took care of business 42 to 21, and it wasn't really even that close. Um, You know, Wayne was tweeting all week at Alabama, talking about Saban, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he... He kind of halfway comes across as an ass. I don't think he's doing anything like super maliciously, but you know, for all all the shit he was talking, hyping up this game, Ole Miss didn't even score in the first half. And after you know, I think three of their possessions, they had already gone for it on fourth down five times, only converting two of those. The first drive started off, which was really worrisome for Bama fans because Ole Miss took it the length of the field, converted two fourth down conversions, and then Bama finally stopped them on a fourth and short. I feel like it was the third fourth down in a row where they tried to run it up the middle, and Bama just blitzed every gap and was able to hold them inside of uh, the Alabama 10-yard line. Alabama drove down, scored. Ole Miss got the ball back. They went for it on fourth and short again around midfield, which was a you know pretty aggressive play call at that early point in the game, only down seven, but I don't necessarily hate it because obviously Lane knows you're not going to beat Alabama kicking field goals and punting and you're going to have to be aggressive. They didn't get that one. So Alabama got the ball, drove it down the field, scored again, 14-0. Then Ole Miss got the ball and I believe it was three and out. Regardless, they didn't make it past like the 25 or 30 yard line and they went for it on fourth down again, failed again. And at that point, you know, the the game was over and that was still in the first quarter. So the first two conversions that they failed, I understand, like I get that Lane gets that you're not going to beat Alabama kicking field goals and playing conservative. But the one on the 25-yard line, I mean, that was just absolutely bonehead and just, you know, I mean, the, that that essentially ended the game because then Alabama started with the ball in the red zone and they were down 14-0 there. I get it. You know, they probably knew Alabama, there was a more likely chance than not that we were going to roll down the field and score again no matter where we got the ball, but if Ole Miss punts the ball right there, gets a three and out and scores, not the craziest thing you've ever heard of in your life, then it's a one-score game, but instead it was a three-score game, and they had no chance after that. So, um, yeah, he, of course, the now infamous popcorn comment that he made uh, when he was being interviewed by CBS on the sidelines before before the game started, he said, you know, get your popcorn ready or whatever, and then proceeded to uh I think he kind of realized as soon as he said it maybe that was a stupid thing to say because he was pressing like he was trying to save his ass so Bama you know they came out they took care of business unlike last year they were ready for this type of an Ole Miss game last year I think Ole Miss really caught us by surprise it was Kiffin's first season there of course COVID so just like lots of Weird circumstances going on with that game, and they gave us their best shot and almost got us last year in Oxford. 
this year. I think they've been having that game, have had that game on their mind all off season. So Ole Miss was certainly not able to sneak up and take us by surprise, but I did think it was going to be a lot closer. So I think Ole Miss will be fine. You know, they just, they just got totally out of their game and out of their element way too early. Uh, they were acting like they were down by five scores when they were only down by two. So not a great game plan, um, way too aggressive, but they'll be fine. And I think they're still going to be a really scary team to play for the rest of the SEC West. Moving on to Georgia, Arkansas, that one finished 37 to zero Stetson Bennett started as JT Daniels has still been having oblique, whatever injuries. Um, the dogs, I really only watched the first quarter of this game cause it was much like the Bama game after the first quarter, the game was essentially over, um, Arkansas, they, this was a tough spot for them. They've had a couple of really big emotional wins over the past few weeks with the Texas and Texas A&M game. They've been really banged up physically. And I think just emotionally taxed after a game like last weekend, beating A&M for the first time in nine years, uh, KJ Jefferson, their quarterback, did play against the Dogs, but he was not not 100%. And when he's not 100%, then I don't think Arkansas has really any chance against a top 10 playoff caliber type of team like Georgia. They only had 162 total yards the entire game, so Georgia absolutely suffocated them. Um, yeah, especially with number three Oregon losing, Georgia and Alabama taking care of business from these teams which granted they were like 14 in Alabama case in Alabama's case and then 17 point in Georgia cases uh favorites sorry stumbled along right there and um so these are team games that they should have and did win easily so I think they kind of separated themselves from the SEC as well as college football as a whole because they're the two teams that really haven't had a big head scratcher game uh quite yet so Moving on, we'll touch on some more SEC before we look around the country. Uh, a couple of major SEC streaks were broken this year as far as winning or the lack thereof in a specific location. Uh, we'll start off with Auburn beating LSU 24-19. to This was the first time they had won in Death Valley since 1999, which is really hard to ima- uh, imagine considering how many good teams Auburn has had in that 20-plus year, 20 year span. Uh, Auburn, of course, coming in this game off of a horrific performance against Georgia State last week. They were unsure about who was going to start at quarterback until right before the game. Bo got the nod, although TJ Finley ended up coming in and playing one, maybe two, I forget, possessions in the first half before he didn't do anything and Bo got back in. LSU jumped out to an early lead. And uh, they held it for most of the game until Auburn took it over at the very end. Um, This was, I mean, about as wild of a game as you would have imagined from these two teams. It was kind of a field goal festival for LSU. They moved the ball. They passed the ball well uh, down the field pretty consistently most of the night. But Auburn was just kind of the classic bend, don't break. And LSU had to kick multiple field goals in the red zone, which ended up costing them. Uh, LSU, we've talked about back when they got clobbered by UCLA, how they have just not been very physical or intimidating in the trenches. And this definitely showed tonight as LSU only had 11 rushing yards. So obviously Auburn always has a good defense, but that's, I guess, what happens when you pair LSU's piss poor running game with a good capable front seven like Auburn has uh, resulting in 11 rushing yards which is just hard to wrap your head around considering how that's been LSU's rock for the past since we've been alive since 99 you could say Uh, Johnny Manziel was trending because in the second half Bo Nix was literally pulling off some of the craziest plays I've seen in a long time running around in the backfield like a chicken with his head cut off for, I mean, it felt like half of a minute, uh, breaking tackles and then eventually finding men downfield. So, I mean, it, it, it really did look like Johnny Johnny football back in 2012, 2013. And then Bo would just, you know, soon after overthrow and miss easy wide open targets. It's kind of the story of his and the typical Auburn football fan's life, I think, with that roller coaster. 
Uh, I don't know how y'all deal with it because that game, I was at the Auburn bar in Denver and I was so stressed out just watching that around all that nervous energy in that bar. But, you know, one week you almost beat Penn State on the road, who is now a top five team. Then the next week you almost lose to Georgia State at home. Then the next week you beat LSU in Baton Rouge for the first time in 22 years. I mean, good Lord, have fun with Georgia coming up. I'm sure that will be <laughs> totally stressless. Uh, Kentucky beating Florida 20-13. to 13. Big shout-out to the Cats. We were able to catch this one, the end of this one, right before the Auburn game started. Um, this is the first win for Kentucky, beating Florida in Kentucky since 1986, so even longer than Auburn's streak. But this one was in Lexington. Uh, as they just, of course, snapped that crazy streak against the Gators back in 2013 that spanned over 30 years. Um, they had a big night there. Uh, the big story of the game seemed to be Florida's penalties. They were totally undisciplined. They had 15 penalties for 155 years, and I believe eight of those 15 were false starts. So it seemed like the crowd noise really got to them in Lexington. It might not be the biggest stadium, but you get, you get Kentucky a few wins and especially give them a night game, and that place is uh, its a tough place to play. Can't wait for this Saturday's game in Lexington as they host LSU. We'll get way more into that later. Uh, Jimbo Fisher, everyone's favorite $75 million man, lost to Mississippi State 26-22. Um, they are now out of the top 25, just as everyone expected going into this Alabama matchup this upcoming Saturday. Tennessee stomp Missouri 62-24. This kind of high-powered offense that, you know, we thought that Josh Heupel would bring seems to be coming to life. I thought Missouri, I mean, this was a kind of sketchy spread as we talked about last week on the Best Bets episode with Missouri only being favored by three. It felt like they should have been favored by more, and we actually ended up taking Tennessee on that one. Um, it just seemed trappy on the Missouri side, and sure enough, the Vols just absolutely demolished them. So as opposed to the beginning of the season when Joe Milton from the Michigan transfer was starting for Tennessee, now they've got Hendon Hooker from Virginia Tech playing, and it seems like he's probably the answer. Um, you know, the Tennessee, I don't think they're going to be able to – they didn't compete with Florida. I don't think they're going to be able to compete with Georgia, probably not Kentucky. But if Tennessee could be number four in the East below Georgia, Florida, Kentucky, and above Mizzou, South Carolina, and Vandy, I think that would be a pretty darn successful season for the Vols, all things considered, where the program's at. Um, I thought Mizzou would have that fourth spot pretty comfortably, so the fact that they just got whooped by 38 points uh, at home to Tennessee... Um, that's that's a great sign for the Vols. So I think, you know, if they could set their eyes on that four spot, it's going to be a tough road to get there still. But um, that's encouraging for the Orange faithful in Knoxville. Moving on to the Big Ten. They're the only other conference that looks competent right now, as we talked about last week in the uh, kind of September conference breakdown. Ohio State, like I mentioned earlier tonight, they are returning to form. They beat Rutgers 52-14. to Michigan, uh, we got to give our props to the Big Blue. They beat Wisconsin 38-17. to Wisconsin, like I tweeted out, uh, looks like they might be a pick with Vandy right now. They are just abysmally awful, and the fact that Graham Mertz is still starting really says a lot about the lack of depth at their quarterback position. Their backup, Chase Wolf, did get in for a couple drives, uh, towards the end of that Michigan game, but it didn't matter. It was too far gone at that point, and he didn't do anything anyways. I mean, if he's backing up Graham Mertz still at this point, then what does that say about him? Um, but this is a game that Michigan has absolutely crumbled in the past two seasons, and it's been kind of at this a similar point where it's like, okay, Michigan, it's a bit of a make-or-break game. Now they're undefeated. Uh, they, you know, they've been beating teams pretty handily that they should be beating. So, the Big Ten is shaping up to have a really, really exciting second half of the season. Penn State took care of business, twenty-four to zero, after over Indiana. The Hoosiers have certainly returned returned to their traditional form, uh, and Penn State, you know, <clears throat> excuse me. 
um, Penn State getting a pretty big victory over a team that is far inferior. Iowa uh, rolled Maryland, good Lord, 51-14 to on Friday night at Maryland. That's kind of a classic trappy um, game for the favorites. Going on the road on a weeknight, you know, short week of preparation. Friday night especially, crowd's going to be super hostile. And Maryland was undefeated going into that game, but they certainly met their match. They just hadn't played anybody before that, and I thought they would keep it close, but missed the mark on that one. Other playoff news, um, the biggest outcome of the day was Cincy beating Notre Dame 24-13. Notre Dame has played a bunch of garbage teams so far and just barely been squeaking by, so it was about time that they played someone that was for real. And they got exposed, um, 24-13. This was on during the Bama game, so I didn't really see any of it, but it seems like it wasn't maybe even as close as the score uh, made it sound since he had a sound, uh, pretty solid lead the whole time and I think kept Notre Dame to zero points in that first half. Uh, Cincinnati now has a real pl- path to the playoff. This is getting really interesting with them and BYU. Uh, our guy John from Tuscaloosa called in last week and was asking about playoff dark horses and I said Cincinnati and BYU are the two dark horses that uh, seem like they have the best chance right now especially given the fact that they're non-power five teams Um, and you know Cincinnati the time is near the mission is clear let's do this thing BYU has a legit chance too so Cincinnati really just had to make it past Indiana who preseason we thought that they were going to be sim- more similar to last year. They have just fallen off the face of the earth, so now that doesn't look like a impressive win. However, at Notre Dame, especially if Notre Dame can continue to take care of business, is going to uh, bode well for the Wildcat or the Bearcats. Excuse me, not the Wildcats. Um, so the Cincinnati schedule, the fact that they got through Notre Dame undefeated. Here's what they have left: Temple, UCF, Navy, Tulane. Tulsa, South Florida, SMU, and East Carolina. Every single game, they're going to be favored handily in. So if they don't make it, it's going to be nobody's fault but their own. You know, prayers up that they stay healthy. And BYU, it's even more similar, or they even have a better path because they have a lot more Power 5 teams on their schedule. They close out the season with USC, and they've already beat two pretty damn solid Pac-12 teams in Utah and Arizona State. So I think BYU, if they both run the table, BYU might actually hop Cincinnati and get in the playoff since so many other traditional teams who we thought wouldn't be making it, Texas A&M, Clemson, Oregon, have all lost um, in pretty bad matchups at this point and have eliminated themselves from contention. But right now, Cincinnati and the most recent AP poll that just came out, Cincinnati's number five and BYU is number 10. So they're going to be really interesting um, to keep an eye on as the season goes along. And I'll be rooting for them because, I mean, yes, it would be probably a pretty easy matchup for Bama or Georgia, but you never know until you play the game. And it would be cool to see one of these teams actually get in after all these years of, you know, the non-power fives being shut out more playoff news uh oregon drops one to stanford 31 to 24 this was probably the quietest number three uh team in the country to lose that we've seen in quite some time because there was just so much else going on all day i feel like this was just not really on anyone's radar and even after they lost it seemed like it just didn't get nearly as much attention as it would if it were a Bama, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State type of team. Uh, This means the Pac-12 is probably done as far as the playoffs go, unless they get a lot of help from other teams around the country losing, as well as the ACC. Uh, Oregon, as we previously discussed a couple weeks ago, is kind of the last hope for the Pac-12 after all the other teams have lost just, you know, horrible upsets and, you know, even multiple of them this early in the season, uh, cough, cough, USC. 
So I don't see the Pac-12 or ACC getting teams in. And, you know, even though the SEC looks like it'll probably have two teams in, it still could open up the door for a Cincinnati or BYU type. Uh, The last team in playoff worthy mentioning should be Oklahoma, who is still just dying to lose a game. But they did survive Kansas State, 37-31. to I'm not going to ding them too bad for having a close game here. Kansas State's quarterback, Skylar Thompson, was able to return to play. Uh, Manhattan is kind of a sneaky, hard place to play. And it seems that Oklahoma's offense finally woke up. So I'm sure the Sooner fans are glad to see that. Because they're going to need it to beat Texas this week in the Red River rivalry. We'll touch on that one here very shortly. Um, yeah, they, I guess, figured it out on the offensive side, but the defense compensated a little bit. They've had a lot like Clemson, just kind of the super low scoring, ugly, like 19 to 14 type of victories so far, but they survived to see another day. They're still undefeated, although it seems like it's just a matter of time until they lose, but the game against Texas will probably be very revealing about both teams since, you know, no one's sneaking up on the other one at this point. Um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to that one, uh, as we wrap up the week five recap, I wanted to hit back on the best bets, uh, records from last week. So I went nine and six. So if you followed all of my picks, I was a plus three on the day, which will always take it when we're bringing home a little cash. Uh, also, my best bet of Syracuse did get there for us, plus five. They ended up losing by three, so that was kind of a close, shaky one. They were down by more than five for a lot of the game, but they were able to pull back close enough to hit that guy, so we moved to four and two on the year for the best bets. So, pretty good day, and I just want to send my condolences out to Jacob. I feel really bad for him because he had probably the worst day he's ever had in his life, and it was when he was well well documented for everybody to see. He unfortunately went two and eleven. You literally couldn't even do that bad if you tried to. Uh, it's just you know that's just the worst luck ever. But I still appreciate him for coming on. And if you don't know him, trust me, it's <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't be having him on if it was always that bad. So clearly, it's just. That was just an awful, uh, awful day of luck for him. Tons of things were close and didn't fall his way, but we'll uh, we'll have him back on if he if he wants to come back and redeem himself some other time because he'll uh, he'll make up for it. I have no doubt. So thanks to Jacob for coming on. I'm sorry it had to shake out so poorly like that, but maybe you only followed me and you were up three units on the day. Looking ahead to week six, it's another really good slate with many top 25 matchups, not including Bama versus A&M. This is crazy. Uh, Everyone, myself pretty much included, thought that it could be the game of the regular season when Bama travels to College Station. A&M, of course, I'll get more into their coaching ordeal uh, in the hot seat segment. But they've just, you know, they had a very good last year, even though they didn't really compete with Bama. They played everybody else great. And since then, and really since they hired Jimbo slash beat Bama in 2012, they've always kind of felt like they deserve to be mentioned in that same category. They want to compete in that upper echelon of college football with the Bamas, the Georgias, etc. But they have just always had stupefying losses, especially late in the season. What generally happens with them is since we always play Texas A&M, you know, halfway through the season, kind of like this, the kind of week six, week seven slate, Texas A&M usually has a really easy first half of the year and a really hard back half of the year. It's just how their SEC schedule shakes up. You know, they always play LSU last and I feel like they always get Auburn later as well. Um but it feels like they're always 5-0, and 6-0 and going into the Bama game. Bama tosses them around like a rag doll, and then A&M ends up like 8-4. and And it's like, well, what happened? They started 6-0. and They were ranked in the top 10 when they played Bama, and they finished the season, you know, at like a 2-4 and record. And I don't know if it's just demoralizing mentally, just a hard thing to get over physically, um, 
probably a little bit of both, but that's always been their kryptonite. But we thought this year would be a similar thing. They really haven't played anybody so far other than Arkansas, who, of course, like a month ago, no one thought Arkansas would be what it is. Um, and Texas A&M is rolling in 4-2 and two into this game. Uh, or excuse me, three and two, and they could easily be two and three with a loss to Colorado that nearly was. Of course, they lost Haynes King in that Colorado game here in Denver uh, week two, and their backup quarterback, Zach Calzada, Calzone as some people call him, uh, has just not been the answer at all. It's not all his fault. Their offensive line has been pretty banged up and underperformed and just made everything hard on him. But A&M is just a complete shell of what it once was, coming off back-to-back losses to Arkansas and Mississippi State. Now the tide is coming to town. Uh, I'm going to College Station for this one. I've never been before. I'm still really excited. I am much more relaxed than I would have been if maybe their quarterback was healthy. And, uh, you know, they were, they were rolling into this game 5-0, and and all the hype was around it. But that's just not the case. So tickets for this game have absolutely plummeted. Now you can get them for, you know, like 80 bucks, uh, well below face value on StubHub and everything, because I think the A&M fans are just pretty fed up with Jimbo and the whole situation, which we'll get to that later. There's not too much interesting to say about this game other than, you know, I mean, Bama should take care of business easily. Hopefully they do for my sake being there at Kyle Field. I'm still really excited to see the environment, see the scene and everything. But, um, yeah, this game is what could have been one of the best games of the year, now just a shell of what it could have been. Uh, the big marquee game of the day, or one of them at least, is Iowa hosting Penn State. Iowa is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. This is the last-ranked game on the Hawkeyes' schedule. So if they win this one, then they will, I mean... They should be rolling into Indianapolis undefeated against whoever wins the other side, whatever the, I can't remember what the Big Ten Legion, Legends and Leaders or whatever it's called. <laughs> They're different divisions. It's so stupid. But, the you know, I was on the easy side. It's like them, Wisconsin, Minnesota, all those teams are pitiful this year. So Iowa should have a cakewalk to get their 12-0 if they can beat Penn State, which I think they will, especially this <clears throat> this game being at home. Uh, Penn State has a much tougher road forward. They've probably played a harder schedule um, so far just because I guess Auburn is the best team that either of these teams have played since Iowa State. I don't know, Iowa State or Auburn. That sounds like a Outback Bowl waiting to happen. But um, anyway... Penn State still has Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State. All are undefeated except for the Buckeyes, but they look like they're, you know, returning to form. So Penn State has a long road ahead. Iowa does not. So if they can just get past this game, you know, what happens if they make it to the Big Tw- Big Twelve ti- or Big Ten title game, undefeated, twelve and zero, and then lose a close game to Ohio State? That could really muddy up the playoff waters even more if Ohio State keeps rolling. And of course, Michigan and Michigan State are gonna maybe have something to say about that as well. So really interesting number three versus number four game. Kind of crazy. Both of these teams are ranked that high, but you know, they've taken care of business so far. So uh, we'll see. That should be a good one from Iowa. The Red River rivalry is looking a lot more interesting than I just, I thought it would be at the beginning of the season. Number six, Oklahoma is a three point favorite over number 21, Texas at the uh, old Cotton Bowl in Dallas, of course. The winner will be in the driver's seat for the Big 12, even though Texas has one loss. That was to Arkansas, so they don't have any conference losses, uh, meaning that if they knock off Oklahoma, they control their own destiny to get to that Big 12 title game. Oklahoma, even though they've tried to lose every game they've played so far, they have not yet, so a, you know, a win over a... Texas team that's looking better and better each week um, could could maybe be the spark that Oklahoma needs to really kick it into high gear and start looking more like a playoff team. The uh, So Texas switched from Hudson Card 
to Casey Thompson as their starting quarterback after the Arkansas game. Carr did not play well at all, and uh, they seem to be grooving much better now with Thompson. They put up a ton of points against uh, Texas Tech a couple weeks ago. They scored 70, and then last week they beat TCU. I should have touched on that game in the recap, but TCU had won six out of the last seven against Texas, which is just hard to fathom. But uh, Texas, it was a close game. It looked like a really entertaining one. I was kind of keeping up with it on my phone. But Texas finally kind of got that monkey off of its back. And they're definitely more talented than, than TCU. So this is a game that they should be winning, you know, way more than they have been, obviously. They should be the ones winning six out of seven, not the other way around. However, new coaching staff, new quarterback, They it, it was good for Sark and company to to get that win, even though TCU's not that great. Texas needed that one, and they took care of business with the, the help of their extremely talented running back, Bijan Robinson. So Ole Miss host Arkansas. This, <laughs> this game seems like it could be a lot more exciting a week ago before both of these teams got shellacked. But, you know, it, it, it's, still, it's still a really exciting matchup. Ole Miss has dropped to number 17. Arkansas dropped to number 13. This game is in Oxford, in case I didn't mention that. Ole Miss is a six-point favorite. Uh, this will be fascinating to keep our eye on because it's, you know, which team is going to move on the quickest. I think, uh, I don't know. This is going to be a great game. I think Ole Miss, I'd probably take them. Um, but you never know how just a, a big loss to a team who you're coming in expecting to beat can affect the psyche of a team going forward. So we'll see, you know, maybe, I mean, Arkansas has had a, a tough, a tough past couple of weeks with Jefferson being banged up and playing two very physical teams in A&M and Georgia. So we'll see if how they hold up physically and Ole Miss maybe more so just mentally if they can lock back in and take care of business as they host the Hogs. But, you know, both of these teams, even though they, they couldn't really compete with Bama or Georgia, they should still they should still be fighting for second in the West, especially with how bad LSU and A and M have looked. So I I hope they come out and both put up a good for, for performance because that should be a great game. Auburn, number 18 now after their win in Death Valley, hosts number two, Georgia, who is a 14.5 point favorite. Um, this is kind of another interesting spot, just intangibly for Auburn, how last week was, I mean, three, two, or, yeah, three weeks in a row now. They had the close loss at Penn State. They had the close win against Georgia State. They had the close win at LSU. I know this is kind of a typical Auburn season. Uh, as far as the close, you know, roller coaster ride goes, but especially with last last week being, you know, their first win down there in so long, comeback fourth quarter victory. How quickly can they move on from that and start to focus on the dogs? I mean, even if Auburn played its best game, I still don't think they could beat Georgia as long as Georgia just, you know, did their thing and played decently. But, you know, it's in Jordan Hare, and we've seen stranger things happen. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if Auburn can kind of keep that momentum. Even if they just played a competitive game, I think, you know, every Auburn fan would feel pretty good about that and and be happy with it. But um, they're going to have to, well, I mean, you know, by the time this is coming out, it's it's too late to be setting your sights on the dogs. They really need to be setting their sights on them on – Sunday morning, so we'll see. And Georgia, you know, this is always a tough place to play. So if they can come in and take care of business like like they really should, then you know we'll we'll know that they're maybe maybe not going to slip up any time this regular season, make it to Atlanta undefeated. So uh, Kentucky hosts LSU. Kentucky strangely wasn't ranked last week, and now they're up to number 16. They're a three-point favorite over the Bayou Bengals. Another kind of intangible, interesting emotional spot here. You're sensing a theme with a lot of these these games once we get a few weeks into the season. Kentucky beating uh, Florida for the first time in 30-plus years in Lexington. You know, how quickly can they set their eyes forward on LSU? LSU, after coming off of a really disappointing loss, are they going to 
throw the towel in on Cocho, or are they going to come out and fight like this is the desperation game that it is for them? Because if they lose this, they're going to have three losses on the season already, posting a 3-3 three and three record, and the seat is going to be seriously hot for Cocho, but we will touch on that here in a minute. I think you sh- you, uh, Kentucky should be able to like bully the hell out of LSU with how LSU has been pushed around by UCLA and Auburn, really the only two decent opponents they've played all year. Uh, Kentucky is a very physical kind of classic Mark Stoops team. And I expect them to just ground and pound, run the ball and prevent LSU from doing so. So this will probably be a pretty low scoring kind of ugly game. I like Kentucky to win it. I'm sure as hell going to be rooting for him. I'm looking at the under 52 in this game. Could be a best bet for the week, but I'm recording this episode a little bit early on Monday night, so I'm going to take another day or two to mosey over the lines and everything, and then I'll tweet out whatever my pick is probably on Tuesday or Wednesday. So uh, on to the segments, and we'll wrap this guy up. We start, as always, with the hot seat of the week presented by Lee Corso. Tier 1, where, as a reminder, the seat is actively hot for our coaches. Uh, I've still got Mike Norvell at Florida State at the top of this list. Congratulations to the Seminoles getting their first one of the year in Week 5 against Syracuse. A three-point slugfest at home. Uh, Syracuse at least got there for us on the spread. That's all we cared about on that one. And we'll keep updating this as we go along. Willie Taggart was fired from Florida State after posting a 9-12 and record his first two years. Mike Norvell is going to need to finish the season 5-2 and two to tie that record at which Willie Taggart got fired. So, uh, yeah, congrats to them for squeezing out a dub. 1-4, things are looking up for the Knolls. Um, let's see here. Manny Diaz. So I should have put him on here a week or two ago. I had it written down in my notes and just looked over it. So might be on that one, but we'll catch up now. The Hurricanes have looked completely abysmal. They dropped the Thursday night game to start off week five to Virginia at home. Let's see, I'm looking up their schedule, their record right quick. They are an impressive one, two, two and three. Um, You know, we thought that they were going to be a potential ACC contender, maybe even a playoff dark horse, but things have been really bad there. They they doinked the field goal to try to uh, win the game against Virginia there on Thursday night. So very, very... Tough sledding so far for Miami. They play UNC. It uh, looks like they have a bye this week. Then they play UNC the following Saturday, which could have been one of the best games in the year. And both those teams have been massive disappointments. So not the case, unfortunately. Uh, I've still got Scott Frost on here, although they completely dominated Northwestern. It's probably not going to be enough to save his job as uh, Nebraska's been struggling, and they play Michigan on Saturday. Michigan's been rolling this week. <laughs> I don't know. No matter what happens, other than Nebraska blowing them out, I don't think anything would be terribly surprising, given the track record of these two head coaches going up against one another. Uh, Michigan really needs to just take care of them, but Nebraska, you know, they, 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 complete, they blew out Northwestern, and they played a couple other pretty solid Big Ten teams pretty closely so if if they could be competitive with Michigan again not that close losses are going to save Scott Frost's job in year four of this experiment in Nebraska uh, that would still be a pretty pretty impressive outing in my opinion from the Huskers but that'll round out our tier one tier two is where we're getting a lot more names Uh, new faces on the list I've still got Justin Fuente here at Virginia Tech uh Let's see, we already talked about Scott Frost. I have him down twice because I just love him so much. Uh, (laughs) Coach Orgeron, Edward. Hello. We've been waiting to talk about you, buddy. Uh, You know, the one-hit wonder, is he going to get the Gene Chizik treatment? (laughs) We're going to find out here in the next few weeks because I think LSU fans are increasingly disgruntled with his performance ever since their magical fairy tale 2019 national championship season, which is looking more and more obvious that it was all Joe Brady and Joe Burrow, probably very little to do with the caveman himself. 
All I remember is after Alabama lost that game in 2019, you know, cue up the normal narratives, Orgeron beating uh, Saban and taking over the SEC West. You know, he's here to stay. He's, you know, they just love him so much. He's Louisiana man. Oh, you know, great guy, blah, blah, blah. Um, just, you know, such a, such a funny guy. He's got a funny accent and he sounds like a fucking bulldog, you know, barking up and down the sidelines practically. We just love him so much. ESPN was a literal circle jerk from that November to that January, basically until Burrow got drafted in the NFL. I want to see them keeping that same energy now that Coach O, let's keep, let's, let's keep talking about him. Let's talk about him since we love him so much. From a couple years ago, all he did was come out last year in 2020. I understand they had COVID opt-outs, and I understand they lost a lot, but guess what? So does my team, so does Georgia, so does the other real contenders who stick around to stay year after year. They all lose lots of talent every single season, and you know what they don't do? They don't come back the next season and post a 5-5 five and five record because they have recruits coming in, and they actually know how to develop that talent Unlike some people in Baton Rouge, apparently, now LSU's come out. They got manhandled by UCLA. They barely, barely beat a pretty bad Mississippi State team in Starkville a couple weeks ago. And then they lose to Bo Nix and Auburn, who didn't even have a starting quarterback until 10 minutes before kickoff, and let Bo Nix run around like Johnny Manziel before the, in, the, in the backfield in, the, in that second half. LSU ran the ball for 11 yards. 11 yards in Death Valley. Like, who the hell is this team? Coach O, his days might be quickly numbered. If the Cats come out and dominate LSU, even though Kentucky is a good team, don't get me wrong this year, the optics of Kentucky, not great since they're not a traditional SEC team. And uh, yeah, that's going to be fascinating to watch. Also, Jimbo Fisher, $75 million man, he... Damn, I was really on a roll there, and my computer gave me the low battery notification, so I had to run up and get the charger before it died and deleted this whole episode on me. <laughs> anyway, Jimbo, uh, who Texas A&M is paying, uh, you know, $75 million to lose to Mississippi State and not have a backup quarterback and basically do the exact same thing that Jimbo Fisher did, or excuse me, Kevin Sumlin did with, um, you know, less exciting actual victories. Uh, Each year, Bama has, like, they played Bama close Jimbo's first season, and then they've just slowly been drifting away as far as the margin of defeat goes. So Texas uh, A&M, two straight losses, I get it. They don't have a quarterback, but also you've been recruiting really damn well. You're Texas A&M. You have all the resources in the world. They're paying you $75 million. Like, is it too much to ask to have a competent backup quarterback? Because they don't. They only have the whole Texas state of Texas at their disposal. And apparently that's uh, too hard to, too much to ask. So they're probably going to get their third straight loss this weekend with Alabama. And let's just see who they have down the road. Because if they've already lost to... Arkansas and Mississippi State, those are two games that everyone thought they would easily win before the season started. Now with an assumed loss to Bama, they will be 3-3, three and three, after which they get to play at Missouri. That's not looking like a guaranteed win. They play South Carolina at home. They should definitely get that one. Then they play three of their last four games are Auburn, at Ole Miss, at LSU. So... Have fun with that. It's going to be really interesting to see the uh, message boards, message boards, and College Station if they, you know, post a six and six record and go to the Birmingham Bowl. So, good job to A and M for being smart with your money. Lastly, we just have to mention Urban Meyer. We've all seen the video. If you haven't, <laughs> you live under a rock. Um, you know, you you <laughs> you just can't make it up. He uh, he is now, I guess, on the uh, Tier 2 hot seat because maybe USC won't even stoop that low to get him after what we just saw at uh, Urban's Paint House with his young, the young broad. I'm sure his wife loved that video. Shout out to Urban, family guy. May need to take some more time off soon after the 0-4 start in Jacksonville. Good job, buddy. Who's not back of the week presented by Texas? We've got the Oregon Ducks, you know. It's been a long time since they made the playoff back in 2014. 
and won that exciting matchup against Florida State. Uh, well, not exciting in the fact that it was close, but exciting in the fact that they just dominated them. But they just, yeah, every year it seems like they could be knocking on the door to be one of these playoff teams and they lose another game like this. So even after their big victory at Ohio State, you know, it is an 11 and 1 record going to be enough to convince the playoff committee if you've got, you know, 12 and 1. Alabama and or Georgia 13 and 0 Alabama and or Georgia undefeated Cincinnati maybe one loss Oklahoma whatever I I don't see it with how bad the Pac-12 is otherwise um so that's a tough one for the Ducks I was rooting for them I like Cristobal but this has just been Oregon's thing you always lose one or two of these games and that's enough to keep you out of the mix and also, who's not back, Texas A&M. We just harped on them, so I won't go anymore. Not that they were ever really, like, back in a, or here in a sense, so that they could be back in the first place. But, you know, they thought they wanted to be Bama. They thought they were ready. And no, sir. The tweet of the week, we've got several. Uh, Bum Chillips, my guy Spencer Hall, at EDSBS on Twitter. Uh, he said, it feels like market correction Saturday. This was at some point during the Bama drubbing of Ole Miss because, like we said earlier, the underdogs have been really popular this year, do, performing really well as far as the spreads go. And this was the week where it all kind of flipped on its head and the big favorites actually won even bigger. So it did feel like market correction Saturday in that sense, even though there were still some teams like Oklahoma and Oregon that didn't cover. Uh, there were teams like Bama and Georgia, and I'm gonna go. I'm gonna say Ohio State. You know, kind of separating themselves from the pack a little bit. It looked like against inferior competition. Um, the next one was Cincinnati, the official Cincinnati Bearcats football account, tweeting out a montage of Cincinnati coach or ex-Cincinnati coach Brian Kelly uh, when he was actually the Bearcats leader. Uh, and a bunch of post-game pressers just talking about how they had a good game and how they respected their opponent with a lot of tradition and how Cincinnati was the place to be. This was pretty funny because it was not a deep fake, but it was kind of like the deep fake where you take things that they actually said at one time and just made a montage of it so it actually sounded like a real post-game presser. It was clear that it was from a bunch of different post-game conferences after his Cincinnati days but uh that was pretty pretty clever on their part and I was really glad to see the Bearcats get that victory over the Irish obviously and the last one is John Boys at John underscore boys on Twitter <laughs> this was a really funny one at some point in the third or fourth quarter of that Auburn LSU voodoo game he said, Bonix is required to explore the entire back backfield like a Zelda dungeon before throwing the ball, which uh, if you've seen any of the highlights, that's kind of exactly what it looks like. <laughs> Helmet stickers, I'm going to go with the entire Iowa defense as they had seven turnovers in their Friday night battle against Maryland. This one, Maryland hung around for about maybe a quarter, and then in the second quarter, things just got so out of hand. Unfortunately, Lil Tungavaloa got he, he had four interceptions in the first half, I think it was, and then he got pulled and benched. So Maryland just totally outmatched. They had never they had not seen a defense anything like Iowa's so far that season. Um, but credit to the Hawkeyes, they've been forcing turnovers like this basically every game of the year. Um, so if they can keep doing that, they can play with basically anybody. I'll say. Uh, and the second helmet sticker of the week goes to Bijan Robinson on Texas. He had 35 carries for 216 yards and two touchdowns. He really put the team on his back as TCU was trying to mount a comeback late in that game. He just ate up the clock and basically suffocated any chance TCU had of getting the ball and getting ahead of the horns. So he's been amazing all season. I mean, he's got to be not that... A running back is likely to win the Heisman, but he's got to be up there in the conversation at this point. So he uh, he did really well, and Texas is going to need him in a big way next week if they're going to knock off the Sooners. Uh, let's see. Now getting to more of the preview segments, we've got the non-ranked game of the week. 
That's Utah at USC. The Trojans are a three and a half point favorite. I'm probably going to go with the Utes on this one, probably straight up, but definitely on that three and a half. Not a best bet, but just to play. Both of these teams have been pretty chaotic and unpredictable. Uh, I just think Utah has a little more stability, and with Cameron Rising having a couple weeks of starting quarterback experience under his belt now, I trust them a lot more than I trust anything USC is going to put on the field. Uh, the best bet of the week, like I said, I'm not sure on that one yet as it's only Monday, but I'll tweet that out on the thread, so keep an eye on the Twitter page. The group of five game of the week, we've got Boise at number 10 BYU. Boise's two and three, but they've been really close and competitive in, in all those losses, so I think they're better than their schedule makes them sound. BYU is only a five-point favorite, which is tempting, but seems a little tricky. So I might look more into that one, but that's at 2.30 in Utah on Saturday. The Pac-12 after day, after dark game of the week. We <laughs> All right, we've got UCLA at Arizona. I don't even know what the spread is on this one. Let me check this out real quick. UCLA is favored by 16. Um in Tucson, I mean, the, all right, the, the reason this is the game is because it's literally like one of two actual late night games. So, yeah, the one other option we have is New Mexico State at Nevada, <laughs> at which Nevada is a 31 and a half point favorite. So, sorry, there's not too much late night going on this Saturday. That's always kind of disappointing, but who knows? Maybe UCLA will lay an egg and Arizona will get a little weird with it, so I guess keep an eye on that one as you're <laughs> winding your evening down, if you're that desperate too. What I will be watching, the best games in the morning, afternoon, and evening time slots on Saturday, 11 a.m., sign me up for the Red River Rivalry, Texas and Oklahoma, of course, playing in Dallas, 3 o'clock Central, we've got Penn State at Iowa, the top five matchup in the Big Ten. And at 8 o'clock, I will be clearly at the Bama-Texas A&M game, so I won't be watching this one, but I will be interested to see the results of LSU at Kentucky. Game day grub, we're not doing anything this week as I will be traveling and gone, and that wraps up the episode. So thanks to everybody for listening along. Uh, again, we're gonna we're doing the voicemail segment from now on. I didn't get any this week, but feel free to call in, leave a voicemail, or even just shoot me a text of a question or comment or hot take you might have if you want me to discuss anything. So more than happy to. We'll uh, kind of a lull in the guests as I'm busy this next week or two with traveling to and from Texas, um, but we'll get some more guests. I've had a few people reach out. So those of you who have, who have reached out about coming on, I've not forgotten about you, just need a little break and pop out a couple quicker episodes here as we hit the almost halfway mark. That's kind of hard to believe already. Time flies, but yeah, everybody have a good rest of your week, a great Saturday. Feel free to interact on the Twitter page or voicemails, text questions, whatever you got. So appreciate you, everybody. Thanks for listening along and bye-bye. Oh, cool. P.S. So as I'm saving the project, as I'm wrapping up right now, I see that this is the 10th episode. So cheers to double digits. Bye.